630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Jamie says, hey, Reed, I respect Rob Brown's opinion, but I disagree about Line A. I think it's unlikely Line A forgot he was in the defensive zone as he was back-checking. I think it was a clearing attempt. That is from Jamie. DW says, Reed, I think there's an inconsistently definitely in refereeing, and it's simply because they would be calling five to six penalties on a game on plays on McDavid. Funny, I thought there was a rule book, but it seems like it's a different one from night to night on both teams, not just the Oilers. Those are some texts to 630-630. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Reed Wilkins. Still ahead, Aaron Portsline. He covers the Columbus Blue Jackets. He's uh, going to tell you a little bit about John Tortorella's effect on the Blue Jackets. They are doing amazing this year. Second best points percentage in the NHL. Heroes of 2016 debuts at the bottom of the hour with Jelena Mergenovic, very accomplished Edmonton boxer. She holds a couple world championship belts. Scoreboard, courtesy of Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, call 310 Glass today. Still looking for a goal in Montreal between the Bruins and the Habs. Three minutes left in the second period. Penguins pounding Arizona. 6-0 early in the third. Monday night football, it's 2-0 for New England, leading Baltimore nine minutes into the game. They got a safety, obviously, and the Raptors lead Milwaukee 84-68. That game late in the third. Sam Steele, Edmonton kid, plays for the Regina Pats, has a power play goal in a uh, World Junior Selection Camp game. Team Canada leading the U Sports All-Stars 5-3, less than 10 minutes to go in the third period. Dart down the middle, breakaway, Zach Cassian shoots, scores! Tie game, 2-2. Two two. I think that's offside. I think it might be offside. No goal. No goal. No, it's one of those things uh, that's kind of where the NHL uh, is at and where it's headed. And Those are the rules. It's, it sucks as a player, but... Uh, it shows I was offside, not by much, uh, fractions of of, uh, of an inch. So it is what it is. At least we won the game. What does it do for momentum in a game when you think you've scored and then you got to sit around and wait and then, oh, no, you haven't scored? Yeah, it's tough, but uh, we found a way to win. But uh, if, if that's a game we lose, it's pretty frustrating. But... All in all, like I said, there's nothing we really can do. That's where the NHL's headed. That's where they want this game to go. And um, Rules are rules. I got to stay outside. <laughs> As a sports fan, do you like video review? Uh, I do for, for certain things. Um, but uh, some of it's, uh, I think, a little ridiculous. Uh, you have to remember it's hockey. It's a game of hockey. Um, so uh, agree with some, disagree with, with others. But uh, I'm sure everyone's like that. All right. <laughs> Not sure Cassian agrees with um, there being video review on offside. Neither do I. Uh, got a text here from BD who says, uh, it's a terrible way of judging offside, but get over it. He was offside. Well, here's the thing. I'm not arguing that he, whether or not he, he, like, yes, he was offside. 
I, I just don't think they should review things that are going to come down to millimeters. And I said the same thing during the playoffs last year, which obviously the Oilers weren't involved in. So this isn't just an Oilers central argument. Me as an observer of the game of hockey doesn't want to see goals coming off the board because a guy barely lifted his skate, you know, as the puck was going over the blue line and it literally comes down to a millimeter or two that you would never detect at full speed. DB says, I don't mind the review thing because it gets the call right. No one complains when Todd uses it to disallow another team's goal. In a one-goal league, the stakes are darn high. That's from DB. Uh, But actually, I would be complaining if the Jets had had a goal disallowed the same way because I don't like the rule itself. Emmett says, if Steve Smith could score accidentally from behind the net, Patrick Laine definitely could have botched it in front of a net. You hate seeing it, but the Oilers have been due for a bounce to go their way. Jay Bueller says, uh, sorry, Line definitely thought he was scoring. Look at the replay. He raises his stick in victory. <laughs> and the Oilers weren't sure what to do. Brian is on the line. Hi, Brian. Hey, Reed. How are you doing tonight? Doing well. That's good. Hey, um, you know, the one thing that I get really frustrated with the NHL is it seems like year in, year out, they're always complaining, goals are down, goals are down, goals are down. And yet, and I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it seems like they do everything in their power to hamper goals. I know. That's that's what I'm saying, buddy. I, I mean, you know, back in back in the in, in the in the fifties, Montreal, when they were on their tour in face of five straight Stanley Cups, they had an awesome power play. You know, probably maybe maybe one of the best ones in history. And at that point in time, uh, if if my memory is right on, on the history of the NHL, at that point in time, if you had a two-minute penalty, it was a two-minute penalty. Yes. You, if you scored four times in that two-minute penalty, then tough, you know. Too bad for luck. the other team. And and suddenly, well, Montreal had a great power play. Oh, you know what? It wasn't fair on the other teams, so they changed the rule. Edmonton had had huge, huge offensive you know, power in the 80s. And let's call it the Gretzky rule. Oh, you know what? Let's make the back of the net a little bit smaller so you don't have as much room. Now this this with this off offside thing, it's just it's crazy. Well, I, I, I mean, you're preaching to the choir because all it can do is take goals off the board. And Rob and I debated it on air, and we debated it off air. And he said, well, why do we have video review for goals? And I said, because a video review for a goal could also result in a no goal being changed into a goal, right? Those go both ways. The offside review only go one way. And that's that's part of the reason it bugs me. Well, I mean, that's true. I mean, but, I mean... In hindsight, I mean, it can kind of go both ways. In, 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 its, in its, the fact that had his foot been touching the blue line, it would have been a good goal. Well, sure, but but I'm saying if you challenge it, it can only result in a disallowed goal, right? Like, you can't go back and say, oh, wait, this team wasn't offside, so let's give them a chance to do this attack again, and maybe they'll score. You know what I mean? This is this is true. Yeah. I, I just I just wanted to comment on that because, it, you know, I, I, it gets, I'm sure, frustrating for the fans, but I think it just gets maybe even at times even more frustrating 
for for you know you sportscasters and, and color commentators and you know people who know the game. Thanks for calling, Brian. Thanks. All right, just catch up on some news today. Todd McClellan on the likely return of Brandon Davidson tomorrow on defense. You know, Davey's a physical, I consider him physical and, and hard. Uh, Gribes is obviously that. So as we get players healthy, we, um, you know, we get a little more uh, bite from the back end, if you will, um, depending on how we use them. Um, but I, th- I thought Darnell was one of our best um, transporters of, of the puck through the neutral zone, skating it and, and jumping into the rush, and we missed that a little bit. Brandon Davidson, uh, like hope, uh, very hopeful to play tomorrow. Still unhappy about the Matthew Kachuk hit that hurt him back in the first game of the season. Yeah, I still think that was a slew foot, but um, it's uh, an uncontrollable. I can't uh, do anything about it. I think that uh, those things have a, have a way of working themselves out, and um, you know, it's a little discouraging to start the season that way for sure, but um, I'm well motivated and, and uh, excited to get started here now. All right, so a nurse out up to 12 weeks with the ankle surgery. Oh, they sent David Musil down as well. Eric Greiba getting close to returning. I asked Todd McClellan. They got a power play with 2.02 left yesterday, and they had a one-goal lead. So I said, did you consider just passing it around, not shooting? You win a face-off. You've got two minutes. Um, keep away is probably um, your best bet at killing the clock. Um, and we talked about it, but the players, I guess they're wired to go and try and get that goal. So it was very frustrating. What else can I say? It was real frustrating. I actually had one player that turned back and said they're trying to up the, the, the numbers because the media was all over us about three weeks ago. So. so, yeah, they would have preferred just to play keep away in the final two minutes and not shoot it and risk something, a bounce going Winnipeg's way for, for a rush. The Oilers did hang on. They won it 3-2. They play Columbus tomorrow. We'll get the lowdown on the Blue Jackets with Aaron Portsline from the Columbus Dispatch when we get back. Please drop off a new toy for 630 Chad Santa's Anonymous at any shopping center, Costco, Toys R Us, or Canadian Tire. Making Christmas dreams come true. 630 Chad Santa's Anonymous. Oilers and Blue Jackets tomorrow, and the Blue Jackets are flying. Aaron Portsline covers them for the Columbus Post Dispatch. Aaron, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Aaron, how are you doing? We got you. Very well, Lee. How are you? Doing very well. Uh, just still scratching my head. Well, scratching my head is not the right word. I guess still in a little bit of disbelief over Patrick Liney's game winner for the Edmonton Oilers last night. There's a sentence that doesn't quite make sense, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was told uh, some wiseacre on Twitter today said that Liney's got as many goals for the Oilers as Pouliou Yarby does. That's right. <laughs> They're now even. <laughs> Puyi got one way back in the first game of the year. Uh, I'll ask you here off the top. I mean, you've been covering the game for a while. Uh, oddest goal or maybe uh, a crushing own goal that you've witnessed in your time as a reporter? I mean, it's it's up there. You, you know, you see some you see some weird ones that are like inadvertent. I'm not suggesting you try but usually it, it, they're not to that extreme what columbus had an odd one the other night as well where gagne from the half wall went to shovel it deep deeper into his own zone because he had some friction in front of him and his his stick got bumped and the the puck ended up lobbing right to bobrovsky a islander player tried to 
make contact with it over his head. He whiffed. The puck bounced, bounced again, and hit Bobrovsky's pad and trickled into the net. Gagne's goal from about 40 feet away, and, you know, it, it, it's a weird game. That, that silly round puck does some bizarre things sometimes. Right. <laughs> well, uh, it helped the Oilers last night and uh, helped them break a four-game winless skid, though they had lost three games in overtime. Taking on a Columbus Blue Jackets team, the, the first thing that stands out besides a bit of a discrepancy in the standings is uh, the games played. Columbus only at 26. The Oilers are at 31. When do things pick up here for the Blue Jackets, Aaron? Well, you keep thinking it's going to. They had a game a week or so ago where they played five games in seven days. And that still didn't get him anywhere. Um, you know, they had a, it's, it's been a very odd schedule. They've got more back-to-backs than anybody else in the league. But yet they, they keep having these large uh, breaks. And, and this is even this trip out west is an odd one where they they play Edmonton on Tuesday. They don't play Calgary until Friday. And then they have a day off and they play Vancouver before they go home. Usually this is a 3-4 and four, or at most a 3-5. and five. Uh, Right after the second game of the season, they had five days, almost a second training camp uh, to work on things. So I think they're okay with this, actually. I know Tortorella is, because as well as they've played and as good as the record is, by playing so few games, it's allowed them to sort of hide in the weeds a little bit. He wants as little attention on this group as possible. I think he just wants nose down, uh, nose to the grindstone, keep working and, and, and hold off on the praise that that I think they're starting to, to uh, gather from around the league. Yeah, well, I don't know if they'll be able to fly under the radar for much longer. I don't, well, I don't know if they are anymore. I mean, they got a 731 points percentage. That's only point zero zero one behind Montreal. But when you look at it, uh, I mean, how does this reality compare to your preseason expectations, Aaron? Well, I mean, it's, it's far above them. I, I look at it this way. There's so much anticipation about this team last year. If you remember back to before last season started, there's a lot of people that had this team, A, making the playoffs, B, going deep in the playoffs. Some people had them challenging to win the Eastern Conference, and then the floor fell out, just fell out. And I think if you were surprised by last season, you're probably not that surprised by this season. If you were expecting them to be awful this last season, then this season would be a surprise. There is talent on this team. It was a dysfunctional group last year. I don't know why it didn't work. I think there's a million different reasons. They were out of shape. They weren't ready for the season. The coach wasn't on. A million things. Bobrovsky was hurt. You could go on a long list. All of those things have been tightened up and fixed this season. And so the players are now performing to their ability. The team now works. It's now a, a functioning, healthy team atmosphere, and they're delivering now the way that people, maybe a little beyond that, but the way people expected them to deliver last season. Aaron Portsline from the Columbus Dispatch joining us on Inside Sports. He covers the Blue Jackets. So would you say you're John Tortorella's new Larry Brooks? Or, you know, do you guys ever go back and forth? Or what's that relationship like? Uh, we've not had any uh, hurling F-bombs uh, storming away from each other yet. Uh, you know, it's funny. I think a lot of people would be surprised because it's got such a... The relationship between Brooks and Tortorella has such a, rela- has such a reputation. It's, it's almost storied to this point. 
you see these guys interact. Most days that they had were fine. They were fine. They're, they both had, they would have moments where things wouldn't be great. Now, now Torts, we've never had one of those, and nor have other people in the media group here. But there are, there are questions he doesn't like. There are places he's just not going to go. He typically doesn't like first questions, no matter what they are. Um, sometimes he sets ground rules and then immediately breaks the, the ground rules that he has set for what he's willing and what he's not willing to talk about. I find the man to be, most days, dare I say, I hope he doesn't hear this, charming and almost funny, uh, unintentionally so sometimes. But the best part of, of him, from my perspective, for what we do, is he is incredibly insightful, incredibly honest. He's very quotable. And I am willing to put up with with all kinds of stuff, and that's what the normal day is. I've got no complaints on the John Tortorella front. Well, you know, that, that's interesting because so many people were skeptical when uh, he was, and I know he was there almost all of last season. I think he wound up coaching 75 games, so that's pretty much a full year. Uh, he got criticized yeah. a lot for what went on with the World Cup, but you can't argue with... Sure. In, in terms of how he handles the team and coaches day-to-day, what do you think his most positive impact is? Well, I mean, Reed, I, this is such a different market. For, for me, the best comparison in it, and it works so well because Tortorella was part of it. This reminds me of what the Tampa Bay Lightning went through with Tortorella the first time, where it's a fledgling organization. Yeah, they've had some talent. Hey, they made the playoffs a year, now they're out. It's been up and down. It's sort of this searching, wandering, trying to grab anything you can to taste success. They need a guy like this. I mean, Ken Hitchcock, I think, was taking the Blue Jackets on this way. I don't think they saw Hitchcock's time here to fruition. I think he got fired too soon. But Tortorella is the, is the strong personality. He is a leader of men. Sometimes it rows people the wrong way. But he has this group. You can tell by watching him play. They have totally bought in. And he is, he is responsible for bringing a frayed group together. He's responsible for driving these guys to new levels of fitness this offseason. So many guys lost weight this summer, tightened up. They weren't out of shape. They just needed to be in better shape. So there, there's so much confidence derived from this guy being behind the bench. I don't know how long it's going to last. Nobody can tell you that. But they needed somebody in this market to push the boulder up the hill. It's a big hill. It's a heavy boulder in a market like this where – you're so worried about institutional, uh, organizational quality and organizational leadership and guidance and knowing what it means to be a professional. And it was a wandering lost group until that guy got here and he has given him that direction. Well, that's high praise, and you can't argue with the results so far this season. It's going to be fun tomorrow. I know Edmonton's usually a, stop, a tough stop for the Blue Jackets, so uh, I wonder if that's yep. going to continue in the new rink. Aaron, I look forward to seeing you at the morning skate, man. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. I'm Mike Riley. I'm Chris Ketzlaff. I'm Adarius Bowman. I'm J.C. Shirt of your Edmonton Eskimos. This season, please support 630 Ched Santa's Anonymous. How about this? Now 7-0, the Penguins leading Arizona. It's late in the third period. Boston out in front of Montreal, 1-0 early in the third. 
The Raptors up on Milwaukee, 111-88 with five minutes left. Monday night football, 16-0 New England over Baltimore early in the second quarter. Inside Sports presents Heroes of 2016. Well, Delano, what do you think of that? Heroes of 2016, pretty cool, eh? Well, that's that's a lot of pressure. I don't know if I consider myself a hero. Well, you're a world champion, so you did something good this year. Uh, well, let's hope I keep doing good things and, and not regress again. <laughs> what do you mean regress again? You've well, never regressed. No, Just but... Just because you lose the odd time. Losing sucks. Like, let's be honest. Like, let's keep the winning. Let's keep the ball rolling. Couple more titles. No losing. No comeback. No nothing. Let's just keep it going forward. Jelena Bergenovich joining us on Inside Sports as we're going to look back on some of the top stories uh, with the emphasis on local athletes in 2016. And uh, you fought. You fought twice this year, right? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot. Although, I think it's probably because they were spread out. I mean, I fought in March and I fought in October. Um, I was hoping to squeeze another one in there, but uh, the boss said no. I, I, I argued till like right to the point where I was like, okay, maybe I can't do a training camp in this time now. Meaning like a week before the December show. Right. <laughs> So let's uh, let's uh, let's look back a little bit here. Uh, in March, you fought right here in Edmonton. That was at the Shaw, right? Yeah, it was nice to be home. Fought um, fought in front of Edmonton, which is always amazing for me. Um, you know, previous to that fight, I had fought in Argentina. Um, didn't really go in my favor, but that was last year, and this is now. So um, uh, March was a it was a great homecoming. So that was against the uh, Argentinian opponent who had to took your belts in the in the previous fight. Yeah. So you were well, able to win the rematch. What we did was we both put up our belts. I was the WBC okay. champion. She was the WBA champion. And unfortunately, she came out ahead of me that night. So she was gracious enough to give me a rematch. Um, we had to negotiate tooth and nail to get that rematch. However, um, you know, we had the fight here in March, and it, it was awesome. It was a great fight, good fight for the boxing, great fight for the Antonian fans because you had the best in the world versus number one challenger, So, um, which unfortunately was me. But uh, I came out on top that night. It was it was incredible. No, that was – I remember the, the – I think the Empton Journal had the headline that it was an all-out war, and there's, like, this picture of you, and there's, like, a big stream of blood running down your cheek. Was it one of the uh – I don't, I don't. I don't want to just use bloodiest because some, they're going to be a pretty harsh bout without blood. But was it one of your most vicious fights that you've had? I think for me, this was one for that meant a lot. Um, you know, I, that was my forty seventh bout. Um, you know, I lost my title again, um, and and for me, it was it was a homecoming. To fight back in Edmonton. I hadn't fought in Edmonton for a few fights um, and I wanted to show everybody that I wasn't, you know, you get all these rumors when you lose. It's like, oh, is she washed up? Is she done? Should she retire? Blah, 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 blah. Um, and I wanted to show everybody that I, I honestly feel like I'm at the peak of my career. 
don't ask me how at 48 fights now that I feel like I'm finally peaking, but, um, you know, I feel incredible. I think all of my work that I'm doing now is working with my body. I'm healthy. I'm enjoying training still at 34 years old. I still can't wait to get to the gym. Um, and so I think I wanted to show everybody that in March and, um, you know, it was a great war. It was very close. Um, for the first part of the fight and then the second part I kind of just took it away and I scored a knockdown that that photo you're talking about is like one of my favorites now I have I have probably a number of favorites having had 48 fights but right. that one she's um she's actually on the ground and you see him like glaring at her like kind of like don't get up or like it's it's on and I do have blood um, streaming down my cheek from a headbutt um, so it is quite quite an incredible photo so no you uh, you came into studio about a week or two after that and you still you still had the pretty big uh, bruise slash cut by your left eye and you still have a little bit of a scar there don't you well, that was a pretty bad one well we had some issues that you know, I think my body was like, what the heck are you doing? Like, and it, and it just didn't want to heal properly. And, uh-huh. and I mean, right now we're in, we're in December and it's still, I'm, I've been still battling it right now. And it's just cosmetic. I did some light therapy to try and just get it all a little faded. So, I mean, I've been walking around for eight months with the shiner. My, <laughs> my dad's not so happy. Um, I think everybody's just used to it though. You, you mentioned, you know, when you, when you'd lost previously, um, okay, so is, 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 is she done? Should she retire? You're hearing all that kind of stuff. A couple things on that. First of all, don't you try to just block that out? I mean, will you read newspaper articles about yourself? Will you listen to, you know, a radio show like this if you're not on it? Or will you go read a, a boxing blog? Because I, I know a lot of athletes, they just say, I don't engage with that and I, and I do believe some of them hold true to that they just don't read about themselves how, how do you approach that I made that mistake reading everything on myself early in my career um, and you know I've been around for 13 years there's been a lot of ups and a lot of downs and um, a lot of people talking smack and and uh, just you know people who you thought supported you and then just doing a complete 180 um, when you're down. Um, and so that was something I did earlier in my career, and I had to learn not to do it because I I used to take everything to heart. I used to be like, but I don't understand. This person was so nice to me yesterday, and then now when I'm not around. Um, so it's something I try not to do. Um, obviously, it's inevitable that people are going to talk to you about it and be like, oh, my goodness, did you read this the other day? And you're like, actually, no, but now I'm going to go home and, like, actually, the minute you're out of my sight, I'm going to read up on this. So um, it's something I try not to do now, and um, my parents raised me well, so I just kind of bite my tongue, I smile, I nod, and I walk away. But, so, you, but it's – okay, so then the second part of that is does it become fuel? Um. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm so stubborn and I, I'm, I want to prove everybody wrong. Like when you have a poor opinion or if you don't think that I'm going to do it, I mean, let's, let's just take the story about how I got into boxing. My dad told me I couldn't do it. So what did I do being who I am? I went down to a gym the next week and fell in love with the sport of boxing, having never put gloves on or never I mean besides punching my brother and my sisters with pillowcases like pillows I had never 
besides watching on TV super fights, I'd never really gotten into boxing. So, you know, it's kind of just my nature is I take anything negative that people are going to say about me about what I do and try and fuel it to be better. Um, and I think also now, given where I'm at, uh, just perfecting what I can do and the, being the best athlete I can be. And so that's mostly what fuels me. But um, yeah, absolutely. When I was younger, that was the only thing that fueled me when I lost. I was like, screw you guys. I'm going to show everybody wrong and I'm going to make you, make you eat your words. Hey, I bet you can't stick around for another segment on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Challenge accepted. Inside Sports presents Heroes of 2016. Thanks for joining us tonight. Inside Sports on 630. Chad, we're going to be having some fun here over the final uh, two, three weeks of 2016. Segment we're calling Heroes of 2016. Profiling, uh, reintroducing to do some people who... Uh, who shone and represented our city and Alberta well. And Jelena Mergenovic uh, won two bouts over this past year. So uh, what is it? You got the WBA and you got the WBC featherweight belts. Yes. That's yeah. what you have. I always get the alphabet letters. That's what, mm-hmm. I know I always ask you over and over again because I'm like, wait a minute. Is it WBO? Is it IBF? The, listen, is, it like, is she two... now in the NBA all of a sudden? <laughs> I'm like, what's going on? Well, you know, I did meet Steve Nash this year, so I feel like I could just do anything. What was that like meeting Steve Nash? Uh, he's a pretty cool guy. We actually went to the same high school, so we had some commonality, but... Um, just an all-around nicest athlete you can meet. Who's the, um, I don't want to say most famous because fame is subjective, but who's who's the person, whether it's an athlete or an entertainer, that you were most thrilled to meet? Because um, you've got to meet some cool I've people been, along I've the way. I've been so fortunate to meet like in my sport especially um amazing incredible athletes um you know in in all sports but probably for me um roberta duran was pretty cool like i uh when i started boxing when i got into it i was given a vhs tape to watch three fighters um roberta duran sugar ray leonard and tommy hearns and i have had the privilege of meeting all three of them and um they're incredible and roberta duran just um he takes the time to make sure that he makes that connection with every single fan and and for me like watching him and wanting to be him and then meeting him and then when i fought in panama he actually walked up on stage during weigh-ins and like introduced me and started talking in spanish they were arguing with the other manager it was amazing so for me that was probably a, a pretty big highlight that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. You mentioned, I wanted to ask you about that, when they have the weigh-ins, and that's often, now this is my um, probably somewhat ignorant knowledge of boxing, because I have to admit, in my uh, career as a sportscaster, I haven't covered a lot of boxing first ha- firsthand, especially, so I've never actually been to a weigh-in, but that's usually when they have the photos, you know, where the two fighters will stand yeah, nose-to-nose yeah. and scowl at each other, and then sometimes you see, like, well, they actually started fighting there. Like, have you ever had one where there's something almost broke out or it got a little tense, or is it kind of like, we're just doing this for the cameras? No, like, I mean, I can feel when people really dislike me, <laughs> um, but for me, like... I have a target on my back and I have I've been a world champion for goodness 11 years now isn't that crazy 11 years in November I've been a world champ off and on um, and so for me I have what everybody wants like I know people aren't going to like me 
I don't really care. You want it, come get it. I don't have any bad blood. Um, you know, it was a little intense. Uh, for example, the the March weigh-ins, like, they v- very much disliked me. Um, and so her husband was actually her trainer, uh, Matisse's husband, and he was getting right in my face. And then, of course, then tension rises because everybody is from here and they were not happy. And so I had... People who were on our team just grabbed me, put me aside, like, because I'm not going to step down. Like, like I said, I'm stubborn. Bring it. I don't care who you are. You're the traitor, whatever. I can fight you too and her on the same night. So you have, you always have to carry yourself with that, with that, that swagger, I guess, to use the the common word. But having said that, I mean, you, you said how, uh, especially earlier in your career, you'd be motivated by people putting you down or saying you're actually not that good or you're going to lose or you did lose or whatever. Does that make you more careful what you say about your opponent or do you just go into it saying, I have to be the alpha and if I if I if something's on my mind, I'm going to put it out there? Well, I think the thing is you have to respect anybody who steps inside that ring. Um, it doesn't matter if you're zero and ten or ten and zero. Um, just to step in that ring, it, it takes a lot of cor- courage and um, a, a lot of heart. Like I mean, it's it's not easy. It's you, one other person, and who cares if it's two people or ten thousand people watching you? You're on display. So. For me, I have that respect for my opponents, but beyond that, I don't think I don't think there's anybody in my weight that can beat me um, ever okay, until I retire. You know, that's sort of cut you off. That that's being that's being confident. So you you're obviously this is on the radio. You're you're willing to say that. And why wouldn't you say that? It's a one-on-one sport. You don't think anybody can beat you. But have you ever would you, would you ever go so far as to say you know, you're getting ready to fight whoever. Well, I, I don't think they're very good, or their left hand is weak, or their jaw is weak, and I can crush yeah. it. Like, you're, are you that kind of a trash talker? You know what? And that's the thing. I'm sure if I would have been a trash talker my entire career, I'd have a lot more fans. Um, <laughs> however, I choose to let my my like to let my my talking be done in the ring. Um, you know, do I think that inside? Of course I do. Like, come on. Like, um, however. Um, but there's a line for what you would say in the media you know, then. I think for me, um, that's not who I am in an everyday basis. And mm. I think for me, what you see is what you get. And that's how I've been throughout my career and throughout my life. And so for me to like have that disrespect, I was raised better. So, I mean, I might think it, but I'm. Unless I'm provoked, I, I will. I'll usually keep everything to myself. Well, that's. I think that's a good way to put it. That you wouldn't. You wouldn't disrespect. You'll, you're. You're confident. You'll build yourself up, but you don't mm-hmm. need to tear other people down to no. do that. No. And and like I said, unless I'm provoked, I won't step down because obviously I'm a fighter and and I'm confident in what I do. And, and let's be honest, I'm very stubborn. So um, yeah, I won't step down, but I. I don't think I need to like start anything. You know, I, I've interviewed you a few times, Jelena. Jelena Marjanovich joining us on Inside Sports. And, I mean, obvi- like, obvious statement, as as you would hope this would be for any athlete, your your passion for your sport is at an incredible level. Uh, but, but you're talking about being confident. Did you have that confidence before you got into boxing and then boxing maybe brought it out a little more? Or did you have to learn confidence to some extent 
I think it's something that I definitely had to learn. Um, you know, I'm very confident in when I'm trained. Um, if it's something I'm knowledgeable in, if I think I'm right, then absolutely I'm confident in my decisions. Um, and that's same with life. Um, but until for me, I'm very hard on myself. So earlier in my career and probably up until the last, I don't know, last few years, um, I really had a hard time believing that I was the best in the world. Then my coach finally sat me down and he's like, listen, Jelena, he's like, you've had, I think it was like 40 some odd fights. He's like, I don't understand why you don't believe in yourself. He goes, you have 19 knockouts. He goes, that's unheard of in women's boxing for the quality of opponents that you have. He goes, and especially later on in fights, he goes, so I don't know. He goes, if I believe that you can beat anybody in the world, I don't understand why you wouldn't. And I was like, you know, maybe you're right, because you are pretty hard on everybody else, <laughs> including myself. So, you know, I should take this for face value and appreciate it. And then maybe... Um, that's where I was kind of lacking, where I wouldn't be as aggressive because I was like, well, if I do too much or not enough or this and that. And, and, I, and I was worried so much about what everybody thought. Um, now I think I have the resume not to worry. And I think that I've done, I've done pretty much everything that I can do in my sport. I do it because, like you said, I have an extreme passion for what I do. Listen, it's women's boxing. We don't get paid like the men do. Uh -huh. I mean, if I was if I was a man, I would be the equivalent to Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, like all these current fighters. I, let me tell you, I wouldn't have to like, I wouldn't be able to walk around in Edmonton and and not be known or not be recognized or not be acknowledged for what I've done. And that's part of what's the hardest thing and to stay humble and quiet, even though, and to do what I do still. Like I, I'm 34 years old. I've had 48 fights, but I still am driven because I absolutely love what I do. And that's, I think that's the end all and be all of my sport. All right, you uh, fought in uh, October. We had we had John after that fight, so people know what happened there. You defended your belt, so that was that was in France. So that was a couple months ago. Um, anything you can tell us here, mid December, about uh, a, a future fight? Uh, I mean, I know you. I know you. It's announced when it's announced, but yeah. is something probably well, happening? You soon, know, we or? had a couple offers, a couple great offers, um, but um, we're looking to go. The people in France really want me to come back. Um, I, I don't know how much you can learn in, in a short period of time, but um, I think that's great to have that confidence and, you know, to have to want me to come back, even though I thought I won the fight handily. I mean, that's fine. So they want to pay me to come back to France. And so we'll, we'll go if that if they if they meet what we're asking, 100 percent, we'll go back. Um you know, I'm looking to get one more fight before um, my 50th fight, which I would like to do, you know, if we can make it happen in Edmonton um, for me, because this is where I've started. This is, you know, where I've had amazing support. I would like to hit a milestone fight here. Um, so hopefully we can kind of get the the fans excited and, and get the support and, and maybe be able to financially make it worthwhile to bring someone in. Um, so, I mean, those those are my plans. So I, I want to have one fight maybe on the road again and then come home for another fight um, maybe in, in the in the summer. So Okay. 
Yeah. Well, keep so. us posted. Yeah. So this we obviously will. won't be your last appearance on Inside Sports, but we appreciate <laughs> you. Uh, we appreciate you coming in here to, to to wrap up your year and tell some stories. Jelena, all the best. Thank you. Heroes of 2016, Jelena Mergenovic. Hockey tonight. Penguins pound the Coyotes seven nothing. Bruins up one nothing on the Habs late. Thanks to our studio producer this evening, Patrick Bauer. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. Oilers hockey tomorrow, 5.30 face-off show. Game starts at 7. They're hosting Columbus. My name is Reed Wilkins. Charles Adler tonight is up next. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.